Okay, so we begin each of our Sunday gathering uh, with just a brief guided time of reflection. And the reason that we do that is because I don't know what your life looks like, but my life feels very full outside of the weekend. And actually, the weekends feel quite full too. So we're going to invite you just to, um, if you're comfortable, close your eyes, maybe open up your hands. I'm going to lead you into a bit of reflection to sort of come into the room. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. I want you to think about this past week in your life. All the moving pieces. All the phone calls and the emails and the conversations. just invite you to consider where did you see uh, the grace of God at work? what stands out to you as a moment of God's presence and grace to you. And I suspect that for some of us, this week felt like a bit of a storm. And so I want you to imagine that this place is a place of refuge. that the people here and this building as we host the presence of God and as we are hosted by the presence is a refuge for you. And that whatever you bring into this space, into this room full of people, that what awaits for you is the loving kindness of God.
in other church traditions, when you walk into the place of worship, there has been incense that has been burning. And the smell of this place is meant to remind you of the loving kindness of God. And while we do not have incense for you, I do want you to imagine that you've walked into something different than whatever storm or anxiety or conflict is out there. Just take refuge in the presence of God. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 5 and 9 and 10. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourself be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, we're going to welcome up our friend Thomas McGraw. Thomas, thank you so much for preaching for us today. Let me offer a brief word of prayer for Thomas. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for the gift of your scriptures and the gift of Thomas. We ask God that you would make our ears attentive to your word. In Christ's name, amen. We'll see how the mics do. So I want to begin this morning with three stories of three churches that I've been part of at during seasons of my life. One, I grew up in a small town in rural Texas. When I was a child, my dad had a serious medical condition that really affected the shape of our family. Through that experience, we became connected with the First Baptist Church of Al. It was a southern church, one that I didn't experience as particularly big, but I later learned that was a skewed experience because we were in the Bible Belt. But there was a constant back and forth over whether we should have hymns or contemporary music, a Christian education building filled with Awana classes and adult Sunday schools, and a community that embraced my family at a time when we were really struggling and needed support. Friends to check on us, a community of prayer 
united together. Living stones in a spiritual house. So two, I spent one summer of my undergrad years working at a Christian community development organization focused on justice for the economically oppressed in Waco, Texas. And as a part of this internship, I attended a church called Church Under the Bridge. And now maybe that sounds like some kind of metaphor about how we're all under the bridge of God's grace, but it was actually quite literal. Church Under the Bridge is a community of about 200 that meets under a freeway overpass in Waco. They actually just moved back to their building, to their bridge, last year, after what they talked about ending their building campaign, which was also known as the Texas Department of Transportation's widening of the highway. (laughs) It was such a beautiful community to be part of. About half the congregation was unhoused, and about half were living a more privileged life. It got its start when the pastor started a Bible study with some unhoused friends of his that lived under this bridge. The music at Church Under the Bridge is usually a bit loud to compensate for the drone of traffic overhead. People living in active addiction sing their hearts out next to people with PhDs from the Ivy League. It's a place filled with distractions, but also a place where so many on the margins finally felt welcome. Living stones, a spiritual house. Three, also when I was a student, I spent about a year studying abroad at the University of St. Andrews in St. Andrews, Scotland. When I got there on the first Sunday, I just went to the closest church to my dorm because I was too jet-lagged to do any research to figure out where I should go. And so I found myself at the St. Andrews Scottish Episcopal Church. They really went out on a limb with the name there. This was an old stone church that began gathering in 1824. By the time I was part of the congregation, people had been praying under the same name and in the same spot for almost 200 years. Most weekdays, the daily morning prayer service was the rector and the associate rector and me, and unless it was the day off for one of the clergy and then there was just two of us, But this community also did the work of presenting Jesus to all those who walked through the doors, being a place of welcome for generations and generations and generations of students, much like myself, passing through the churchyard on the way to breakfast. The beauty of their space and the consistency of their labors showed me so much about following Jesus for the long haul. Living stones, in a spiritual house. So this morning I'm continuing our Why I Love the Church series, and as I've been sitting and stewing over this question, I've been thinking about the particular churches that were meaningful to me in my own journey. I've been thinking about the intense particularity and difference between each of these congregations. And these are just a few of the churches that I've been part of over the years. What on earth It's the unifying piece of all these disparate groups of people trying to follow Jesus in the best way they know how. What is the common thread that draws them all together? FBC Howe with its long sermons and penchant for hymns and trying to fit in the organ, church under the bridge and the chaos of trying to hear one another over traffic, St. Andrews, St. Andrews with the priest decked out 
and vintage vestments reading the words of the Eucharist. When I was pondering each of these communities that have found me and that are flawed and yet that I still love, I was drawn to our passage this morning from 1 Peter. But first, just a little bit of background for the letter. 1 Peter is addressed to a group of churches throughout Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, during a time of alienation and disconnection from their surrounding culture. These churches were likely planted out of the church in Jerusalem, and they'd become established and were doing well, and yet they found that their Christian way of life wasn't winning them a lot of support from their neighbors. There might have been some persecution, and from reading the letter, it seems certain that there was alienation from those around. Neighbors who didn't understand what they were doing, people in the marketplace who were worried that these gatherings were disrupting the fabric of society, and authorities suspicious of communities that said they had only one king, Jesus, the authorities thought they had already crucified. These churches had learned that the way of Jesus might put them at odds with a world around them addicted to the use of coercive power and to controlling others through violence. I wonder whether these churches had started to doubt whether this whole following Jesus thing was worth it. Couldn't they be more successful if they just began to compromise their values just a little bit? Wouldn't they like to be respected for their confirmation to the Roman dream? Why not force their way into a position of power so that they can make everyone believe and look just like them? So maybe they weren't so different from the church that surrounds us in 21st century America. Because people have been flawed and broken and addicted to oppressive power throughout history. So maybe these churches were struggling. They were wondering if it was worth it to still try and follow Jesus. And that's where we come to our passage for this morning. This is from 1 Peter. Come to him a living stone, though rejected by mortals and yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Jesus Christ. And this is the encouragement that the author of this letter chose to give to the church struggling with what it means to live out faithfulness to Jesus. Rather than a theological treatise about why we do all of these things, First Peter has a poetic image of what the Christian community could look like. And he describes the community as one of living stones, which is kind of an odd image, isn't it? When we think about stones, we tend to think about stability, being unchanging and unmoving. We tend to think of strength. And those are definitely pieces of what it means to be relying on the work of God in us, resting into that work that God is doing but these stones in First Peter are not unchanging. They are living. Living things grow and change. They put themselves out into the world. They're cut back. They decay. They die. The goal of our lives is not to become like a stone unable to change, but to become open 
and living to the work that God is shaping in us. Because being a human can be really hard. It can be hard to love things that change and decay. So much of the time, we struggle with the changes of our own lives and of those we love. And we cause ourselves so much pain by trying not to acknowledge the reality that we are living beings prone to decay. I see this all the time in my day job as a hospice chaplain. I meet with people every week who've had to face the limits of their body when it starts to break down and it can't do the things that it once did. And just a side note, we're all going to get to that point unless the Lord comes first. And some of the most painful things that we go through are seeing these changes happen in those we love. One of my favorite poems is by Mary Oliver. It's called In Blackwater Woods, and it concludes with these following stanzas. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing that your life depends on it, and when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. Living stones get hurt, and they're mortal. One of the things that I love about the church is that it gives us a place every week to acknowledge that we don't have it all together. We are limited and so often broken, and often that brokenness is because of our own choices and actions. But by coming together in the midst of our brokenness and in the midst of our vulnerability, we start to see the light that is breaking in through these clay vessels. Because being human isn't a sin, and the writer of 1 Peter recognizes that. We are living stones for God to work with. And the thing about living things is that they're a lot harder to control than inanimate objects. But what I see as part of the reality of the gospel is that God works with us in the midst of being living, limited creatures. But I don't think that's all that this image of living stones is trying to get at. I think the metaphor comes into its fullness and the, meaning, the deepest meaning from the beginning of the sentence, which says, come to him a living stone. The him in that sentence is Jesus, the living stone who was rejected by mortals and yet chosen and precious in God's sight. We are living stones because we are made in the image of God. We are living stones just like Jesus is a living stone. Jesus is the foundation of the community that God is building. He's the living cornerstone upon which the church builds. And yet Jesus is also just a living stone, a human just like us. And becoming like Jesus is what I take to be the goal of our life together as a church. But becoming like Jesus doesn't mean conforming to some sort of stoic idea of unchanging, unlimited power. So we come together as living stones being built into a spiritual house. Jesus shows us what it's like to be truly human. 
For Jesus, power looks like crying after the death of his friend. It looks like choosing a way of self-emptying love that doesn't try to dazzle people with displays of might. It looks like being limited to one time and one place, moving by the speed of his own two feet across the Holy Land. And Jesus also reveals to us that those who are rejected by mortals, those whom we would rather ignore, what folks in the vineyard often call the last, the lost, and the least, those people are the ones who are extravagantly valued in God's sight. We are living stones, the building material of God, limited, human, just like Jesus. And in the midst of our limitation, when we reach the end of our own power, we become the very stones by which God builds a spiritual house, his church. These stones aren't like Bob Dylan's rolling stone that's on your own, with no direction home, a complete unknown. The living stones of Christian community are being built together into a spiritual house. They become the firm walls that support one another. And this is a work of God. The letter doesn't describe a group of people who came together and they were going to come and they were going to build something great for God. There's a passive quality to the description of the church in this letter. They're not building, they're being built. Because the work of God in the church isn't so much about our own achievement. The church, both globally and locally right here at CV, is God's work. We can sometimes get really anxious about how are we going to preserve these institutions and churches that we've built, and I think it's worth thinking carefully and deliberately about decisions, but the true church, the spiritual house of God, is about the work that God is, that God is doing in a community, in a people, in our own lives, in times. We are the sort of community that we are because God has brought us together. We are here because God is doing the gathering. We are together because God has resolved to form this community into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. And this description of the church is what I want to really focus on this morning community of living stones, which I already talked about, becoming a spiritual house and a royal priesthood. Now, what does it mean to be a spiritual house? I believe that First Peter, when, they say, when he says spiritual house, is likely thinking of the temple as any other Jewish believers likely would. The temple was the house where one could go to meet with God. It was where the presence, the glory, the Spirit of God dwelled. Within the cosmos of a first century Jew, the temple was the center of the universe because it was where one came to encounter God. And First Peter makes the radical claim that this spiritual house is no longer at one place in Jerusalem. Instead, we followers of Jesus, we living stones, are the spiritual house where we might encounter 
God. We see God in one another, and we bring one another into the very presence of God. Through the work of God joining us together, we are transformed into a spiritual house where we bring God to one another. We become the walls of the temple, the foundations of the altar, the roof providing shade. We become for each other a spiritual house. Because the strength of a stone wall or a stone building doesn't depend on the strength of any one stone. It's in being built together that the load is shared. There will be days when you're not able to hold up whatever it is that God's inviting you to. There were days when the initial recipients of this letter probably didn't know how to keep living lives of faithfulness. But that's the point. We're not self-sufficient individuals separated from all influence from others. We're a house being built together, holding one another up to God, who is ultimately the one who builds us into the kind of house that God wants. When I think about this sort of support, I think about the work of the community around me at just about every church that I've spent a little bit of time. And just from those three churches that I mentioned at the beginning of my sermon, I think of my small group leaders at Church Under the Bridge whose son had Down syndrome. The first Sunday they visited from out of town, their son ran up onto the mobile stage and they started trying to bring him back down to the congregation when the music stopped and the worship leader said, no, stop, he's welcome here. He could have a microphone if he wants. My friends talked about that being the first time they ever felt welcomed as a family, as a whole, into a church. The community at Church Under the Bridge held them up and embraced their son as he actually is, not as how others would like for him to be. And so my friends quit their job and they moved to Waco to be part of that community. They allowed themselves to be built into that spiritual house of God where all are extravagantly welcomed. St. Andrew's Scottish Episcopal was a place where I often went full of doubts. The rector, Trevor, who was also helpfully a theology professor, was never afraid of honest questions. He made space for people to come with all of their minds in a way that was really quite refreshing. The church there was never afraid of the reality of not everyone in the congregation believing the same thing. Instead, there was space for the mystery of God, for the holding on to faith, even when someone was struggling with it. And FBC Howe was a place where my family was welcomed with open arms, even in the midst of tragedy and loss. Deep friendships and space for the messiness of life was a safe place to be a living stone, painfully aware of the limits of our own understanding. And I believe that all churches have stories like this. Yes, even those churches where you're not always so sure God is present there. <laughs> because God is working in building all of us together 
as living stones into a spiritual house where we can offer spiritual sacrifices. We support one another like priests going before God, and like priests, we bring our humanity and the humanity of others along. The spiritual sacrifices that we offer in this new temple are ourselves. Not our accomplishments or all the things that we have built and done for God. Instead, we are able to bring our deepest selves into the presence of God. On days when I don't believe, I need someone to believe for me. On days when I can't pray, I need someone to pray for me. On days when it feels like everything is falling apart, I need someone to sit down beside me and be present even or maybe especially when they can't fix it. And that's what I hope the church can be. The holy house of God built up to offer sacrifices of one another's joy and sorrow, of expectation and disappointment, of heartbreak and of love. For what it's worth, right after the sermon, we're going to have a chance to practice that. One of the things that I love about the vineyard is the practice of prayer ministry. Whatever it is that you are bringing this morning, please let it be brought alongside you to God. Let us pray for you and let us see what God wants to build in us together. And so the reading for today concluded with, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I think part of what I've been putting forward sounds like quite the idealized picture of a Christian community. We're all together holding one another up. We're bringing each other before God when we can't bring ourselves there. We offer up these spiritual sacrifices and that is an ideal picture. I think that's what the church can be. But sometimes those stones that we're bumping up against are not the ones we would have chosen. Once we were not a people. We are all so different from one another. A beautiful piece of the church's story is that of making space for those who are so different to come together, to become God's people even though you might not have chosen all those with whom you're worshiping this morning, God has been doing the work of forming us into a people. God's spiritual house where we hold each other up. Or maybe you're thinking this morning, no, this community is pretty much exactly what I'm looking for. I'm surrounded by people who look a lot like me, who share a lot of the same commitments, who share a common language. And maybe that's true. But the spiritual house that God is building includes all those followers of Jesus, including probably those ones we'd rather stay off the front page of the paper. It includes those with whom I can't imagine myself being friends. And yet they too are the living stones that I share a place in the wall with.